And for everyone else here, if you will go ahead and turn in your copy of God's Word to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. If you are unfamiliar where that is at, you can turn in the Pew Bible to uh, page 1026, and it should be there on the top left. We're going to be reading uh, under that big number 6, verses 3 through 13 in a few moments. By the way, this is a little side note. We want to welcome you here. And if you do not have a Bible that you... Uh, Sometimes people have a Bible, but it's one that they can't really read and understand. It's got a lot of these and thous, and they just they don't talk like that to normal people. So they need a Bible that they can read. Uh, we provide these in your pews, not as decorations, but as tools. And not just for here, for you to take home with you. If you need a Bible, it's our gift to you. Uh, we want to present a readable and faithful translation, and that's why we use the CSB um, in our curriculum right now. And that's what I preach from. So that's for you. Well, welcome. I'm glad that you're here. Um, Today we're going to be talking about character. And no, I will not be using Mr. Potato Head as the example for the rest of the time. I know some of you are really bummed out. Um, I do not have an 18-point message for each part of the Mr. Potato Head. You're welcome. And so uh, we we are going to be talking about character. And character that lasts. Character that is cultivated and developed. But character... That is not something, sometimes when you hear the message about character and you've got to have good character, you have got to get a good personality and good behavior and good confidence and good self-esteem and all these things, a lot of the message is, is, is kind of self-help oriented. It's, it's a pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps. It's a get in the game, get it together, dust yourself off. It's a new day, it's your, it's your best day today kind of message. That's not where we're at. That is not where we're at because all of those promotes a self-emphasis. All those promotes what you should be able to do by your own strength and by your own power. At least that's what the books tell us. But the Bible presents something deeper. The Bible presents something that is an act of grace, an act of God's kindness. Not telling us, Hey, do all this and then I'll come alongside you. But trust in me and I will do this in you. This will be a reality for you. And a reality that will not just be there just because it's there. But a reality that will help you face the days of crisis. How many of you like crisis? I see no hands raised. You're smart people. I knew this. I talk about this a lot. I'm in the midst of a good people. You're smart. Because no one invites crisis. No one says, ooh, this week I hope a crisis comes my way. Ooh, this week I hope everything just goes to plop. None of us do that. But we have weeks like that, don't we? We have weeks like that. In fact, we have songs about that. Because you had a bad... You guys, I know you listen to radio other than the hymns. Come on, I know you know that song. All right, so... We we know that these days happen, but what are we to do about them? What does God gift us in those moments? We're going to read about Paul's account and Paul's testimony. And, And when I read this, this is not just about Paul. This is what Paul is saying, that the Holy Spirit, God himself, has made a reality in him and is available not just for him, but to everyone who trusts in the Lord. So would you stand with me in the honor of reading God's Word as the Apostle Paul writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit to pen these words and the Holy Spirit preserving them through the ages for us even today on this August Sunday. 
He says this. Verse 3 of chapter 6, 2 Corinthians. We are not giving anyone an occasion for offense so that the ministry will not be blamed. Instead, as God's ministers, we commend ourselves in everything by great endurance, by afflictions, by hardships, by difficulties, by beatings, by imprisonment, by riots, by labors, by sleepless nights, by times of hunger, by purity, by knowledge, by patience, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, by the Word of truth, by the power of God, through weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left, through glory and dishonor, through slander and good report, regarded as deceivers, yet true, as unknown yet recognized, as dying yet see we live, as being disciplined yet not killed, as grieving yet always rejoicing, as poor yet enriching many, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken openly to you, Corinthians, our heart has been open wide. We are not holding our affection from you, but you are withholding yours from us. And I speak as to my children as a proper response. Open your hearts to us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, today, as we encounter your word, as we trust your Holy Spirit who has promised to be with us today, I make this request, and I make this request not only on behalf of myself, but on behalf of the people here, that you would hear our prayer, you would open our hearts and our eyes and our ears, that we may know you more, that we may actually hear you, and not just words about you. We need both. And that God, in this moment, regardless of what has happened in the the minutes and the seconds and the hours and the days and the weeks that have passed beforehand, we would know that this moment is a divine appointment for us to hear from you. And I pray that you would help me just to be your servant and, and lift up everything to you as the Lord, Master of all, who is good, who is God, full of grace, gospel, and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you may be seated. So our goal when we open the Bible, is always to help people have a greater understanding of what's written in it. Because, you know, you can go to church and you're going to expect someone to open a Bible, read from it, and you may be sitting there and you think, I'm just clueless about what's going on. I mean, whether you've got the, the Bible open to the pages and you've been reading along, or whether you're, you're growing in the glow of God's Word on your phone or, or iPad, uh, or maybe you're surfing somewhere else on the Internet right now, I don't know what's going on. But I understand... Going to a place and, and not getting what is being said. I feel the same way when I go into a math class and they start bringing in letters to a class about numbers. I, I just don't get it. It's all confusing to me. I, I feel very um, uncertain and, and, and uh, unsure of myself in those moments. But we as our goal, we want to, no matter what age you are, we want to help you understand God's Word. 
Because we know that God has spoken it to us out of a gift to us. It is a present. and A sweet, awesome, gracious gift. But we know it says something, but we also need to know what it means. Because sometimes you can hear somebody just go, blah, 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 but you don't really know what they mean. So we take time to investigate what does it mean. And we take time to say, well, if it says this and this is what it means... This is how it applied then and how it applies to me today. And the Bible leaves you with an, an overarching question. Now, what are you going to do about what you've just heard? Because once you hear it, once it is there, you're accountable to it. All of us, we're accountable to what we encounter with God's Word, whether trusting or rejecting. That sounds harsh, but it's the truth. Here Paul is the writing to a church that he loves, a church that he spent 18 months founding on his second missionary journey, and now he's a thousand miles away, and over a period of a year, he's been hearing about all these things, and he's been corresponding with them back and forth in, in quite a few letters, but two of them God has preserved for us as Holy Scripture that was inspired by him. And as he's writing to this church that's, that's gotten distracted and delineated from who they are in Christ, it's as if they've slumbered. It's as if they've closed themselves off and they're not alert to what God is trying to tell them. And Paul is course-correcting them. And then in 2 Corinthians, as he's, as he's shown them to what it means to open their eyes, he's, he's reminding them again, this is what God has done to repair, reconcile, redeem, restore, whatever way you want to put it, to bring rehabilitation to what was dead what was broken, what was marred, what was sinful. God has done this to reconcile you, to to mend the brokenness. But this is also what God is doing in trusting you and keeping you around. This is what God is doing to entrust you to keep these words and pass them on to someone else. As it came to you, it was going to someone else. That sounds well and good, but that also sounds hard. That sounds difficult. And we may think, oh yeah, I want to live for Jesus. I, I want to live and make a difference on this world. But when the rubber meets the road, that's hard. That's difficult. That brings us a little bit of uncertainty and uneasiness. We begin unsure of ourselves because we think, do I have what it takes to persevere through this? Do I have what it takes to to go to another place with the Lord and make His name known in the places I am already and help them get to that place with the Lord? So today we're going to look at that question. If if that's the reality of where we sit, how does God provide for us now? How does God, the loving Father, not leave us alone as His adopted children? Well, let's look at this. We're going to see what the Scripture conveys about this Christ-originating and Christ-orienting character versus times of crisis. And I want us to understand this. Once again, this is not some self-help book. This is not a pull-yourself-up-by-your-own-bootstraps. This is something that only God can do and originate in His children. And everything that's done also points back to Him. And I want you to know that when we face this type of Life that God is calling us to with this, this character, it's going to face crisis. And we're going to need His grace upon us, His gospel in us, and His glory above us. 
Now, first of all, when we're going to see what Scripture conveys, we're going to notice the elements of this Christ-originating and Christ-orienting character. The elements that are in it. Paul says in verse 3, he says, we are not giving anyone an occasion for offense so the ministry will not be blamed. Instead, as God's ministers, we commend ourselves in everything. So Paul wants to put some elements out there about this character. See, Paul is facing some critique. I know Paul's the only one that's ever faced critique. You, you, You don't ever have to deal with critique, right? And this is not critique like, ah, oh, you, you might should have dressed better or you could have said that better. This is critique like defamating his character, defamating his ministry, defamating his life. That people don't like to be corrected. And when they're corrected, they want to point out what's wrong with the person that's correcting. And I want to tell you, I'm a person with flaws up here. I'm a person that doesn't have it all together. So if, if that's your goal, whenever you hear me being maybe offensive, that is not my intent. Because I know God's got a lot of work still to do on me. My wife has kept this amen silent this morning. I appreciate that. I'm glad she loves me the way she does. That's for sure. But Paul makes something clear. That it is not... His aim with his character to be offensive. That is never the, the, the goal to put other people in their place by appearing better than them or presenting yourself as holier than thou. The, the aim of character is not to say, well, you're elevated. The goal of character is not to say, oh, you're, you're exalted above all else. The, the goal is never to say, oh, you're, you're beyond anybody else. That is never the goal. So the aim of character and the aim of ministry, the aim of life is not at being offensive. Now, offensiveness will arise because the gospel is an offensive message. It tells us that there's a holy God and we're sinners. All of us. No matter how pious you may think someone is, every single person that you've ever encountered or faced, no matter how good their heart is, is a person that was born and they were separated from God. Only Jesus is the sinless one. And so all of us have a problem. So there's the offense in it. But Paul says his goal is not to be offensive. He says the aim isn't to injure the ministry. It isn't to injure the role of the servant or those being served. The goal is not to say... Hey, you know what? I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And and if I hurt people in my wake, oh well. That's never the goal. That's never the goal. Paul says that he didn't want the ministry to be blamed for this. This is this is not what he the, the whole mission is about. It's not the it's not to defamate himself, it's not to defamate or hurt the ministry, and it's not to hurt those that are being served. When people are servants and, and they're in gratitude for those they're serving, their goal isn't to say, here, I'm going to give you a piece of poison. Our goal is that I want to give you a token of goodwill, of love, of appreciation. So Paul says, I want you to see that our goal is not to give anyone an occasion for offense. It may happen, but that's not the aim. That's not our target to set ourselves above and beyond other people. But the goal of character is, it is to be something that is commendable. It is to be something that's commendable. That the unmerited worthiness of Christ found within us would be reflected through us. 
See, the element is not to be offensive and just set up, you know what, I'm going to make people really mad this week. That's my character goal. No. The goal is that my life, as unworthy as it is, would would reflect that God's unmerited favor and grace in Himself dwells within me and then pours out of me. Because that is commendable. That is something that, that Jesus would say, that you would let your light so shine, the light that He has placed in you, the light that wasn't there before, but the light that He places in you, it would so shine that people would see it and they would glorify the Father who is in heaven. There would be something commendable out of it. And I'm going to tell you, that's something only Jesus can do. That is Christ originating, that is Christ orienting. That is not something, hey, look at me, I'm pulling myself up, I'm, I'm working out, I'm doing the thing, and I'm good. I can't, I can't bring that out of myself. But Christ can pour it in us and pour it through us. There's the elements. The Scripture conveys that. The second thing that we see conveyed from the Scripture on this Christ-originating and Christ-orienting character that faces times of crisis like Paul is facing is the endurance factor. You see, this type of character, it doesn't limit itself in what it will endure. It doesn't put stipulations up front and says, you know what, nah, I'll go do this, this, and this. But when it gets to this line, uh, this far and no more, I shall not be moved. Paul says, moved by the Holy Spirit, as God's ministers, we commend ourselves in everything. We present our character, what God is doing within us, in a way that faces and will bear and endure everything. Everything accomplishes a pretty good bit, right? I mean, everything is not a partial word. Everything is not a somewhat or almost word. But just in case... We're not clear on what everything means. It isn't a case our everything is in a box. Everything in this, Paul expounds, the Holy Spirit elevates and, and or excuse me, illuminates what he means by everything. He says in everything, well, it includes afflictions. Ooh. Yeah, I want a good dose of affliction this week. You know what afflictions are, right? You know why there's different words here? Afflictions are those pains that are caused by another being. Those are the things that are most recognizable when we're hurt by another. And there are three people, three types of people, rather, that the apostle faced and I think that we still face today. That really hurt us. That cause affliction. And sometimes it is intentional and sometimes it is unintentional. Paul elevating this or or, or highlighting this is probably saying this is where it's faced me. Paul would say, I have been in affliction by those who do not know the Lord and probably didn't even know there was a Lord and they have harmed me. There were times when Paul was beaten and robbed. There were times when he faced difficulties without. He was abused by people. He had affliction. There were times when Paul was abused and and afflicted by the second type. 
And these were people that claimed to know the Lord and yet would not open their ears to the message of Christ. For Paul in his day, it was those that would, uh, were uh, Jewish and believed that the teaching about Jesus as completing and providing for the promises of the Old Testament, they could not fathom that God would do exactly what He had already promised He would do. And so they would set up themselves up to afflict Paul. Sometimes they would travel from one city to another just to hinder the ministry that Paul had. And then there was the third type. Affliction from those that loved him. And affliction from those he loved. Those are the most hurtful ones. Paul is seeing what has arisen up in this church. People he loved. He cared enough to write to. He cared enough to pour his heart out to. And yet he is torn by it. Everything includes affliction. Are you willing to bear that? Are you saying, no, I'm not going to push the limits there. If it's going to cause affliction from those I love, nope, not going to do it. If it's going to cause me outside pain from those that are distant from God and and don't even probably know He exists, nope, not going to do that. I'm too scared. If it's going to cause from those who say they are religious and yet do not know the Lord, nope, not going to do that. I'm not willing to bear that. Well, I would say you need to check where your building of character is trying to come from because that is not Christ originating and Christ orienting character who faced His utmost enemies, who faced those who He loved, who faced those who said they were religious and yet did not know the provision of the Lord. And that's only one of the everything. He says everything includes the hardships. Those times of struggle. Those times where you wonder if you're going to make it to the end of the week or the end of the day or the end of the month or the end of the year. And I'm not saying that those are all financial aspects if that's what you're kind of relating that to. But Paul says, I was willing. Our character was on display in everything, including afflictions and including hardships. It was in those days of difficulty. Those days where I didn't have what was necessary. It was in those days that included beatings. Now I want to put a caveat here. Paul is saying the beatings he faced as a missionary going to a place that did not have the gospel available to it. It was not open to it. And he would face Beatings from persecutors while in prison or sometimes on the way to prison. I want to put this caveat here because if you're in a place right now with someone that you love that is abusing you, do not stay there because that's the Christ-like character thing to do. That is not what is being said here. But I just want to make sure that you hear and understand that. And if you need help or are being ever facing those type of abuse, please let us help you. And get you to the right help and authorities. But Paul is saying here that as a man who was called to go to places where harm would befall him, he was willing to take it for the sake of Christ. Amongst those who were considered enemies and distant and separated from God, he wanted them to know the grace he said everything included imprisonment. That, that if he became went to a place where he was known as an outlaw, turning the world upside down, sometimes facing uh, being jailed naked, 
throughout the middle of the night after facing a beating. He did it. He was willing to endure riots. Not that he tried to incite them, but sometimes they arose. He was willing to endure laborious tasks. If he had to do without and had to go and get a side job or whatever else just to make it work, he was willing to do it. He saw and read the needs of the city and the church where he was planting. He Everything included sleepless nights where he would lose slumber over what was going on in the days. We don't know exactly what this looked like. If it was just straight up insomnia, or if his heart was so torn asunder about the circumstances, the difficulties and the hardships, or maybe the pain from the bruises and the lashes, or maybe the chains that were on him, or the the place where there wasn't a bed, it was just a a filth-soaked stone wall. Maybe it was those times where he was torn in prayer. He was willing to allow that so that Christ originating, Christ orienting character would not be limited. Everything. And everything included times of hunger. That if his basic gratification needs of the day were not met, okay, that doesn't mean he's turning around and going away. And I look at my life And I say, well, I really want that to be the evidence of my life. (laughs) But it's not going to happen by me just aiming for it. It's going to take the work of Christ to ever move our lives to the needle saying, whatever it takes short of sin, I want to be available and used in every way possible for the Lord. Christ was willing to endure for us. In fact, that's what the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 12. says, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus who is willing to endure the cross facing its shame. And for us to keep our eyes on Him so that we do not lose hope. We do not lose that sense of assurance that this is where this begins. This is where this is pointing. This is what this is about. About Him. Who went through these things for even us. Third message conveyed from the Scripture on this area of this type of character is not only that of the elements, not only that of the endurance, it's that of the exercise. You see, this type of character does not happen by osmosis. I used to try to learn by osmosis. You ever try to do that? Go to a class, fall asleep on the book, and just hope it absorbs through the membrane in your head? Yeah, that doesn't work very well. Not very well. It, it takes work to learn a subject. It takes work to, to grasp it and, and to put it into practice and to see what it says and what it means and how it applies and, and how you're going to use it and where, what you're going to put it into place. And here's what we see about this type of endurance and this type of elements, that it comes about by an exercise of God. That's pro- the elements and the tools are provided by the Lord, but it's something that is also cultivated with Christ. 
I've been going to the gym here recently, and, and that's not me fishing for an attaboy like, yeah, good job, we can notice a little bit maybe. I don't know. I don't know what that is. But what I have noticed is people that work with a trainer. It seems like people that work with a trainer who are there and they're kind of coaching them along and they're helping provide the points, they, they, they seem a little bit more fit. And they've probably been doing it for a lot longer than I have. I get it. You know, I'm like two weeks in, and so it's going to take a long while to get this beast of a man more beastly. I get it. Um, but they have some help. And they're cultivating good practices. And the truth is that we have an exercise to, to help develop this, but it's not just here And you're left alone with it. It's caused by Christ and it's cultivated by Christ. He does not leave us. What are these exercises? Well, the first one is through purity. It's through a devotion that places and says, He is the standard. He is the marker. He is the goal. He is the aim. He is everything. And what He says, it sets the course for all else. And my devotion is on Him. I want to see the Lord. I want to be like the Lord, so I'm going to have to really pay attention to the Lord. I must be devoted to Him and not diluted by other things. It's going to take knowledge and understanding, which should make sense to us. That when we talk about learning the Bible, it's not just some emotional thing. It's not some just weird spiritual thing. It's something that affects heart, soul, Mind, body, and strength. We're going to have to learn about the Lord. It's going to take patience. I know someone asked me a couple weeks ago, I was facing something, and they're like, you didn't pray for patience, did you? I just think that's the craziest thing. I get where we get it from. Don't pray for patience because God will send you crisis. Um, You should probably pray for patience. It's like one of the things that's really highlighted as a virtue. But it takes a lot of work to get there. But the Bible pretty much presents it as something that's a necessity for all of us. So whether you want it or not, you need to pray for it. It's going to take kindness. Patience when you have to face those elements that you have to endure, the afflictions, the hardships, the difficulties, the, the, the beatings, whatever they are. It's going to take patience, but it's also going to take responding with kindness. I really like baseball. I know that seems like an off-the-wall point right now. But I really like baseball, and I I like reading about the history of baseball. And there's one moment in baseball, um, April 15th, 1947, that really, really sticks out in in my mind. And uh, that was when Jackie Robinson was called up by the, the Brooklyn Dodgers under the leadership of Branch Rickey and presented to play baseball, the first person of color to break the, the color barrier in Major League Baseball. And he was picked. He was not the only player of color that was playing baseball or had athletic skill. But there was something about him. He wasn't even had the be- he didn't have the best stats even. He had great stats, but he wasn't the best. But there was something about him. And whenever he was brought before Branch Rickey, who really wanted this to happen, and was looking for the right person to help make it happen, he said, you're going to have to respond with patience and kindness to the most crudest of realities. 
Will you be able to go the distance in this place? And that is one reason that that moment in history was so prolific that instead of responding in kind with what was going on to him, he responded not in kind, but with kindness. He didn't respond with outbursts. He responded with patience. And he let his character and he let his skills do the talking on the field. And this is just through baseball. Something that just matters from season to season and will be gone one day. I hope it's not anytime soon. But much more so important is what Christ has called us to. To walk with patience and not always respond in kind with kind, but in kindness to what may be unkindness. That is an exercise that must be developed and cultivated. And kindness, I, I, I call it the shock factor of grace. It's whenever you're so shocked by grace, you, you replicate it in, in, in virtue and goodness to someone else. Because it's the shock factor of grace, kindness, the reason it's called kindness, it's usually a response to someone who we would probably often call unmerited of it. And that's why it's so remarkable. That's something I need to be better at. But God's still working on me. Paul says, not only through kindness, but through the Holy Spirit. It is the activity of God above us, God around us, and God in us making this come about. That He is with us, not leaving us alone. And it is also through sincere love. Once again, Paul is highlighting it's because of the the loving kindness, the mercy of God, that they don't give up. That they're willing to go that next distance. He said, I've been working out and, and I'm trying to get healthier. But there's days where I, I, you kind of hit that wall and then you, just, you just don't want to go. You don't want to do anything. And it, something has to be that voice in you or that voice that's from you know another room saying, Go! <laughs> And once you get there, you, you, you feel better about it. Well, it's the Holy Spirit who gives us this voice of sincere love for us and says, I am walking you through this. And yes, it is a crisis. Yes, it is something of affliction and hardship and difficulty and laborious task. And it feels like a beating, feels like imprisonment. It's, it's all these things you feel like you're going without and you're distressed but I am walking you through it and I will not leave you and I want you to know I love you. And I am doing this out of my love. I am allowing this out of my love. Which leads us to the fourth part that we see here. It's not only that it's about the elements and it's not only about the endurance and not only about the exercise, but it's also about the empowerment. And in case we missed it, this is a Christ-originating and Christ-orienting character that is being talked about. The provision of God. It is something only He can make possible. In other words, this character that should be natural to the Christ follower is something supernatural in its source. This is the, this should be the natural default and normal life for every believer. And yet we would look at this and say, this is bizarre. This is not normal. Because many times our view 
is that we're looking for a natural source instead of the supernatural source, instead of it being Christ originating, Christ orienting. Once again, this is not mere self-help strategy or self-development. It takes the Lord for it to happen. In His grace and His provision, He has given us the tools. One of the things we've been talking about over these last few weeks with VBS is, is this message here. And we've been helping the, the, the kids learn it. Some of them have it all down pat already. They've already learned this full verse. And, and I just thought how poignant to be in this place in the Scripture. It was not planned this way, but to be talking about these things. And this verse just kept resonating in my head over and over again from Second Peter 1.3. As we've talked about, we've broken it down about where this empowerment for life comes from. It comes from God. It's, it's originated for him, from Him and it's orienting towards Him. As we've talked about with the kids, it is His, not mine, not ours, His divine power. His divine power. When you think of God, do you think of divine power? Or do you think of a quiet guy who is meek and weak in a bathrobe and never says anything? Or do you think of the one who speaks and it is so. You see, even the greatest power uh, men we see on television that have the, the world strongman conversations, that is puny, puny power compared to God's divine power. And it says in God's divine power, He has given us. There's a gift from God and that is everything required. Remember that word, everything? That encounters a lot, right? That encompasses a lot. Are you willing to face everything? Because God says, I've given you everything. Everything required for not only life, so that you may be saved, but God in the so that you may live saved through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and His goodness. It is God's provision, His empowerment that makes this available, that makes this happen. So we must not try to attempt to build this on our own strength. And look at what God has said. He's provided for us. And just even three things that Paul highlights. First, the word of truth. That all of us is looking for what is true. What is, what is that thing that sets the tone in our life must be shaped by? And it is God's word of truth. He says, I, I gifted this so you may know my power. And not only have I gifted you the word of truth, but I've given you the power of God. Let me say, where did I get the power of God? Well, if you've ever had the gospel, you've had the power of God. Because Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to save all who believe. So if you've been saved, you have received the power from God. Not only have you been saved by that power, but you've been empowered with that power. Acts 1a says that you will receive power. You will be my witnesses and you will receive power when you take my name to these uttermost places. You will receive power because God has said that I have called you to make disciples, to baptize disciples, to teach disciples to show them the father the son of the holy spirit to these disciples and to know that i am with you to the very end of the age how dare we say we do not have the power of god when he says i am with you to the very end of the age what more could you ask for 
Paul says you have the word of truth, you have the power of God, and you also have the weapons of righteousness, one for the right and for the left. You're not going in single shot here. You're going in full two-fisted double-barreled. You're ready to go. Boom, 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 boom. Weapons of righteousness that you're carrying. Weapons of righteousness. Not weapons of destruction. Weapons of righteousness, but fully on display. There is empowerment for this that originates from Christ and orients us towards Christ. But where does this grow? Just as you would go to a gym to, to get cultivated and in shape physically, just as you would go to uh, a healthy eating establishment if you're on a diet, um, just as you would go to certain places to be receive treatment, there is an environment where this takes place. There is an ecosphere for this type of cultivation and growth. And here's what Paul says the environment is like. It's going to come in days of glory. When it's good, it's going to come in days of dishonor. Not where you're trying to live is dishonorably, but people are going to dishonor your name. It's going to come in times of slander and of good report. When people just take your name, and it's called slander because it's a lie, by the way, not because it's true. People don't speak slander if it's true. It's just true. So if they're mudslinging your name because of something you did and it's true, it's not mudslinging. It's just true. But if it's slander, it's completely false. But in times of slander and good report, where people are going to read and say, this is good. In the moments where you're labeled as a deceiver, yet you know you're true. In the hours when you feel like nobody knows who you are, yet you are recognized before God. In the spans when you are counted as a dead man. I mean, you're just equal to a corpse in some people's eyes, yet you're fully alive. In the days and the intervals when you face discipline from God, and yet you should take that discipline as knowing that God disciplines His child, those He loves. And yet, even though we're disciplined with God, we are not killed. He has the power to destroy us, but He does not. In the seasons of grief, when you're mourning, yet you hold joy. In the points of poorness, when you're doing without and yet pouring out riches on others to meet their needs. In the junctures where you have nothing and yet you know you have more than everything. This is the ecosphere where that grows. And if we miss out on going to the right place and saying, this is necessary for my benefit and for God's glory to be displayed. We're going to miss out on what the Bible conveys to us about how this is cultivated. And lastly, the Scripture conveys not only is there the elements and the endurance and the exercise and the empowerment and the environment. What does this all go towards? There's the eagerness to let it show. Paul says in verses 11-13, when he's writing to the Corinthians, the very ones who are a little bit disgruntled with Paul, a little bit dismayed about who he is. And, and why is he still in Ephesus? Why is he still about a thousand miles away? They've been writing, uh, why aren't you doing this, Paul? Why aren't you with us, Paul? Why aren't, you, why aren't you the one there? I mean, God had provided them other pastors. God had provided them other leaders. So God had provided them other people to, to pour into their life. But there's something about, you know, there's only one person that can ever visit you to make a difference. Paul's saying no. But here's what I want you to know. I have an eagerness to be open with you in articulations. I have an eagerness to be open to you with my words. 
I'm not holding back my words from you. I'm not giving you the silent treatment. I'm not turning away and not letting you hear. I'm speaking. Now whether you want to hear what you're hearing, I'm still open to you about what's there. I'm open to you in actions. I've sent people your way. I continue writing these letters that take time. I mean, I'll be honest. It takes me a long time to write a card. I don't know how long it would take me to write something like this. But it, Paul has an openness to actions and he has an openness to effects. He says, I'm loving you as a, as a father loves a child. And I'm eager for you to know this. But here's the problem. You are withholding your character. You're withholding this eagerness of what God has birthed inside of you. What God has placed inside of you. And why are you doing this? Open up your heart. Not only to those that love you, but to a world that needs you. Because Christ reconciled you so that you may carry on that message to those that still yet need it. And it's going to take character that begins, is founded, and points towards Christ to be able to face the difficult days to carry that message out. But Paul was able to do it because greater was he that was in Paul than he is in the world. And we are still able to accomplish it because God says, I have poured out my Holy Spirit in you. I will help you overcome but know that the work I'm doing, it's the work that must be attributed to Him and must point back to Him. Because only He could reconcile us, only He could restore us, and only He can do that for someone else. May we point it all to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, today as we come to this moment of, of response, it is my, my prayer that You would help us respond. If it takes you to do this in us, it's going to take you impressing upon our heart the moment for now. To not miss the divine appointment. What our diagnosis is, where we are with you, what our remedy is, and what we need to do to respond. So God, help us not miss out on you. And God, help us not miss out on pointing to you. In this time of response and invitation, help us follow you with a yes, with an all in. Because what you do is good. It's gracious. It's gospel. Great news birthing and it's glorious. To you receive the glory in this moment in Jesus' name.